Hi there, I'm Adam Burton, and I'm the pastor at Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky. Thank you for tuning into my online Bible study from The Gospel Project. We are live every Thursday night to study God's Word. This week's Bible study is titled, A Son Builds the Temple. We will see that the temple pointed God's people and the world around them to God. To let you know where we're going, here are our three points. One, the temple hosts God's presence. Two, the temple declares God's faithfulness. And three, the temple advances God's mission. We will get to our Bible study in just a moment. Before we do, one of the great things about our online Bible study is that we can engage in conversation. As you watch, let me know what comments or questions you have. Let us know what sticks out to you in this study. Lastly, we would love to connect with you on all of the socials. We are active on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for CBC Maysville. Okay, let's get to our online Bible study. On April 27, 2006, construction began on a new office building in New York City. Nothing usual about that, but this new office building was like none other. Not because of a new state-of-the-art design or even how the offices would be used, but because of the name, the Freedom Tower, later renamed One World Trade Center. Because of September 11, 2001, nothing built at this site could ever be just a building. For many people, this relatively modest patch of ground in the middle of the sprawling metropolis of New York City is considered holy ground. This new office building would not merely be a place for business to be transacted. It would be a symbol of the resilience of a city and a nation and a tall standing memorial to those who lost their lives on 9-11. Everything we can say about the significance of One World Trade Center was exponentially more true about Solomon's temple in Jerusalem because of its purpose. The temple also stood as a memorial, though not to people who had lost their lives, but to God who chose to dwell among his people. In this session, we will see that in building the temple, Solomon didn't merely construct a building. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, God vowed to fulfill his promise to David and to live among the Israelites and not abandon them. So, the temple represented the establishment of Jerusalem as the center of Israel's worship, the immediate fulfillment of God's promise to David, and the penultimate fulfillment of God's promise to bring the children of Abraham into the promised land. Our first point is the temple hosts God's presence. The temple hosts God's presence. Solomon's reputation in Scripture as a builder in Israel. You know, if ever there was a builder, it was Solomon. During his 40-year reign, Solomon built a palace, cities, a navy, and a massive army. Solomon was the king God had warned the people about, a king who worked his people hard to finance and complete all of his building efforts. However, of all Solomon's building projects, none matched the significance of the temple he built for the Lord. Numerous chapters in Kings and Chronicles are dedicated to the temple, its furnishings, and its dedication. Read with me, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 14. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. 
Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel stood. After the temple was completed, God's presence, represented by a thick cloud, filled the temple. The temple wasn't just another building, another construction in a long list of monuments to Solomon's fame. The temple was built to add God's fame in the world, a tangible symbol of God's presence with his people. And this presence was so overwhelming that the priests couldn't even continue ministering. The language here recalls Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35, when the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and not even Moses was able to enter. The cloud representing God's presence was prevalent throughout the book of Exodus. At the beginning of the Israelites' journey through the wilderness, the Lord led them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. At the Red Sea, the pillar of fire moved between the Israelites and the Egyptian army to keep the Egyptians from advancing against them. God's word describes it paradoxically as the cloud and the darkness that lit up the night. Further, when Moses received the law of God on Mount Sinai, the Lord descended on the mountain with a thick cloud of fire and, and only Moses could approach. Think about this. Why was God's presence with his people in Israel so significant? Because they were sinners. Because God had made promises to dwell among his people. Because no other nation had the presence of their God among them because other gods don't exist. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, he entered into the total darkness on Mount Sinai, where the Lord was. But the people stood at a distance. This was probably what Solomon had in mind in verse 12. The Lord is unapproachable in His glory and holiness. Yet, the Lord invites His people, His, invites people always and only by His grace into His presence. And He chooses to dwell among His people. This is the glorious picture of the cloud-filled temple. This is also the picture of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. God is glorious and holy, and His perfection limits those who can approach Him. But what makes His unapproachable is what draws us to Him as well. His perfect goodness gives us comfort as He protects us and directs our paths. Our perfect God is not far off. He is near in all of His power. In the same way, as the second person of the Trinity, our Lord and Savior Jesus is both imminent and transcendent. His name, Emmanuel, communicates His imminence, God with us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Apostle John wrote that the Word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled, among us. But at the same time, this incarnated Savior walked the earth with His glory shrouded in the cloud of His flesh. This is the splendor of the Incarnation, the Son of God taking on flesh to dwell with His people. Listen to this essential doctrine. God is imminent. When we say that God is imminent, we mean that God is personable and relatable to those made in His image, while remaining completely distinct and unique from all of His creation. It means that God is not a distant deity, as imagined by the deist, who only sits on his heavenly throne with no interaction, but instead he is a personal God who created people in his image to be in personal relationship with him. 
Our second point is the temple declares God's faithfulness. The temple declares God's faithfulness. Read with me 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Now the Lord has fulfilled His promise that He made. For I have risen in the place of David my father, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord that He made with our fathers when He brought them out of the land of Egypt. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. But with a message from the Lord, the prophet Nathan told him he would not be the one to build the temple. The reason is, is not explicit in 2 Samuel chapter 7, but in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 3, Solomon said it was because David was surrounded by warfare and enemies. We also read in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 8, that God had told David he would not build the temple because he had shed so much blood as a righteous warrior in the Lord's army of Israel. Because the land needed rest from the enemies, and because the temple needed to be built by a man of peace, David was not able to build the temple. God didn't fault David for desiring to build the temple, but God's plan involved someone other than David doing it. In response to David's desire to build a temple or build God a house, God seemed to say, David, you wanted to build me a house? I'll do you one better. I'm going to build a house, a dynasty for you. And David's son, who would rise to the throne after him, would be the one to build the temple for the Lord's name. The promise God made many years before to Solomon's father, David, formed the background for his prayer of dedication for the temple. This was all a fulfillment of God's faithful promises. As at the time Solomon requested wisdom from God, here he humbly acknowledged that his ascension to the throne over Israel was not because of his own strength or wisdom, but because God was keeping his promises to David. To establish a house for David and to raise up the one to build the Lord's house. Listen to this quote. Knowing that God always does what he says is very reassuring. He will remain faithful even when we are no longer on earth and unable to witness the accomplishments of His promises. Just as God is faithful, He expects us to be faithful. Let us be faithful in serving God, giving to His work, witnessing to and loving others, and proclaiming His faithfulness. Think about this. What would be some implications for life if God were not faithful? He would not be worthy of our worship. His word and promises could not be trusted. God would be like us in our sin. We would need to start earning His attention, love, and favor to try to ensure He keeps His promises. We would live in fear that He will abandon us. We lose the grounding for our faithfulness in living. Solomon had no illusions about the purpose of the temple he built. The temple was not designed to provide a place for God to live as if He could be contained within its walls. Instead, the temple, like the tabernacle, was to reveal to the Israelites and the world that God was not absent from the earth. He may have seemed far off, but He is not. The temple filled with God's glory communicated His desire to dwell with His people. But the Lord does not require a temple to be faithful and present with His people. God can't be confined by any space, not even the highest heaven. He is omnipresent. There is nowhere where God is not. Solomon affirmed this in his prayer of dedication for the temple. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house I have built. That's 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. The temple that Solomon dedicated that day in 1 Kings chapter 8 would not endure. In 586 BC, roughly 400 years later, 
the Babylonians would level Solomon's temple. Yet God remained present with his people, even though they were captives in foreign lands. When the exiles returned to the land, they rebuilt the temple, though with much less splendor. But it too was destroyed this time by the Romans in A.D. 70. It has been nearly 2,000 years since a temple for God last stood. Though no physical temple exists today, God is ever-present with His people. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer who has confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord. Christians and the church are the Lord's temple. Yet one day, God's dwelling will be with humanity in a tangible way once more. Our last point is the temple advances God's mission. The temple advances God's mission. Read with me 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 54-61. through 61. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our good God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in His statutes and keeping His commandments as at this day. Solomon praised God for giving rest to his people. But Solomon wasn't merely talking about the, the seven years of peace it took to build the temple. He had a much greater rest in mind. The completion of the temple as he saw it was not just a fulfillment of God's promises to David. It was also a fulfillment of God's promises through Moses that God would lead his people out of Egyptian captivity into a land flowing with milk and honey. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, Solomon appears to have borrowed words from the book of Joshua. The first 12 chapters of Joshua de detail the conquest of the promised land. The remaining chapters of Joshua outline the division of the promised land to the various tribes of Israel. Then in Joshua chapter 21 verses 44 and 45, the author summarizes the state of the nation of Israel. One, they had rest from their enemies, and two, God had fulfilled all of His promises to the house of Israel. And pointing back to God's promises through Moses, Solomon wanted the Israelites to see that what they were looking at on that day, the glory-filled temple of the Lord in the promised land, was promised to their ancestors and to them by God many generations before. They were not just looking at a beautiful building. They were looking upon a beautiful fulfillment of God's promise to deliver His people. God's people were at rest in the land He had promised, and the temple before them was the exclamation mark of God's faithful deliverance of ongoing presence with them. Verses 57-60 through 60 serve as the benediction of Solomon's prayer of dedication. His petitions taught the Israelites three critical truths which are just as important for us today. One, God's people need His presence. 
God's people need His presence. Every generation can find reasons to plead with God, to present with them, to be present with them as He was with their ancestors. But in Christ, we never need to fear that He will abandon us or leave us because Jesus has said He never will. Two, the ability to be devoted to God comes from God. The ability to be devoted to God comes from God. The Lord's continued presence with us and His faithful work in us cause us to be devoted to Him. We need God to work in us so that He can work through us. We must be clear, however, that in times when we are spiritually parched, estranged, or distant from God, it is because our devotion and faithfulness have been found lacking, not His. Three, all people to know the Lord is God. All people need to know the Lord is God. Here Solomon pointed all the way back to God's promises to Abraham through that through them all the families of the earth would be blessed. This has always been the mission God has given His people, to be conduits of God's blessing as they declare the watching, to the watching world around them the glory of God through their words and deeds. The temple declared loudly and beautifully, the Lord is God and there is no other. Centuries after Solomon, this final petition is graciously answered every time we, the people of God within whom the Lord dwells, make known the gospel and others from every nation and every tribe place their trust in Christ Jesus. God was faithful to the promise He made to His servant David, and He allowed Solomon to build a magnificent temple for His worship and presence. But the glorious truth is that God dwells wherever His people are praising Him. Today, we, the church in whom the Lord dwells, declare God's faithfulness through proclaiming the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As we rejoice in our salvation and tell God's story or God's glory in Christ among the nations, the original purpose of the temple will be fulfilled in us as the people of the earth come to know our God is King. Because we know God dwells with us in Jesus Christ, we live in devotion and obedience to God so that the original purpose of the temple can be fulfilled. The people of the earth will know that our God is King. Here are some ways for you to apply God's Word to your life. How will you respond to God's desire to dwell among His people? What steps can your church take to be involved in God's mission to bless all the peoples of the earth with the gospel of Christ? To whom will you declare God's faithfulness this week? How will you tell of His glory in Christ among the nations? Listen to this quote. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Pray with me. Father, you created the world to be your dwelling place with humanity. But our sin has alienated us from you. Thank you for making provision for our sin in the true temple of your incarnate Son, Jesus, and for making us, the church, a temple in Him in which the Holy Spirit dwells. Use our presence in this world to point to you as the one true God. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's Bible study. Remember that the temple pointed God's people and the world around them to God. The temple was to be a place where the faithful presence of God would be experienced so that the nations would know the Lord is God. 
Jesus spoke of himself as God's temple, and in his life, death, and resurrection, he was faithful to God's name, embodied God's presence, and extended God's mission. Connect with me if you would like to know how Jesus can change your life forever. Would you like to dig even deeper into this week's Bible study? Join our online Bible study Facebook group to get a short study each day. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash OBS Central. That's facebook.com slash groups slash OBS Central. Lord willing, I will see you next Thursday for our online Bible study. God bless.